I suppose there's quite a number of ways in which we talk about, people talk about um, converting or something being converted. Um, might talk about currency being converted from sterling into, into euros. Um, might talk about fractions being converted into decimals. And in these instances, and many more like them, the, the word means a, a transformation, a, a complete change. No longer is the money sterling, it is now euro. It's no longer is the number of fractions, it is now decimal. Of course, not every use of, of conversion or converting me, means that. And there is this really rather bizarre, bizarre game with a strange oval-shaped ball where if you kick it between a couple of posts and put it over the bar, um, then, then it's a conversion. But the try is still a try. But, but in the other uses, the more normal uses of, of conversion, it, it means that complete change, that complete transformation from one thing into another. Now, it's not a, a word that's used actually very much in, in Scripture. And in fact, in the New Testament, you could count all the references to convert in, in the fingers of your two hands. It's not a word that's found much in the lips of Jesus. In fact, there's only one reference of Jesus, to Jesus using the word convert, and it was in a, a negative context. He speaks about the Pharisees getting, getting a convert and leading them further into hell. So Jesus wasn't going around saying, be converted, get converted. Have you been converted? His message was about the kingdom of God and the kingdom coming near, and, and also about there being a proper response to that, repent and believe the good news. And so at the beginning of his public ministry, we have it in, for example, in Mark chapter 1 at verse 15, it's Jesus is announcing the good news of the kingdom and says, repent and believe. Matthew doesn't get around to that until chapter 4, after he's told us about the birth of Jesus and the baptism and the temptations in the wilderness. He then speaks of Jesus taking out this message of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven having come close. And even with that summary statement in Matthew chapter 9 that we looked at a few uh, weeks ago when Jesus looked at the crowds and saw that they were harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd, it was the kingdom of heaven's news that he wanted to share with them. And then Luke, in, in Luke chapter 4, after Jesus has spoken to Nazareth at the synagogue, and after he's begun his ministry, um, people were wanting Jesus to stay longer in one place, and he was ready to move on because he had to preach about the kingdom of God, Luke 4, 43. And then in chapter 10, at the first of the passages that's true and read for us, when Jesus has sent the disciples out two by two, again, verse 11, the message is not get converted, be converted, but the message about the kingdom of God having become close or drawn near. Now, the kingdom of God, as Jesus talked about and talked much about, is not a kingdom of this world that you locate in a place. It's not like the kingdom of Thailand, which is somewhere specific. It's not like the United Kingdom, not the kind of thing you find on a map. The kingdom is the sphere or, the, or where God's rule is acknowledged, where God is regarded and treated and served as king. Hence, its use in the, in the Lord's Prayer when we pray, your kingdom come, and then explain that with the next phrase, your will be done. And yet the prayer itself says where that will is to be done, on earth as it is in heaven. 
And again, it's not helpful, I think, to think of heaven as some, some place somewhere. But again, the sphere of where God's rule is, is, is seen in its, all its fullness and in its perfections. And the prayer is a longing for that perfection of God's kingdom, that fullness of his kingdom to be more and more real and more and more apparent on, on earth. Because this is not heaven. This is not the perfection of, of God's kingdom. Here there is still pain and there is still suffering. There is still death. The things that the verses from Revelation with which we began our service um, reminded us would, would be taken away in, in, in God's kingdom and God's final glory. In the meantime, we live in this, with the stuff of the hurt and unfairness and soreness of everyday life. But the kingdom of God, says Jesus, is breaking in. It's a kingdom which will come and change and transform things, and it has begun in the work of Jesus. Now, a part in that kingdom is not something that happens just automatically. Hence, when Jesus, as we have in Mark 1, for example, when Jesus announced the that the kingdom of God has come near. He said, repent and believe. There are things that we need to do. It is not the case that we live here in this mixed up, hurting and sore world and, and have our time here and then move on and graduate automatically into, into heaven. Jesus didn't teach that. It's not like you know, being at primary school and then you reach a certain age and stage and then you move on to secondary school. No, we have to make the reality of the kingdom something that's real. We have to make heaven something that's real now. And that's the point that is being made in the two parables and the other reading that Struan gave, the, these two very short parables in Matthew chapter 13. There is a response called for now. Just three verses of Scripture, but two parables of Jesus. In the first of them, there's a man who's going across a field, and he stumbles upon some treasure. He hadn't been looking for it. He didn't know it was there. He hadn't been seeking it. It's not as if he got out of bed that morning and thought, hmm, hmm, nice day. Maybe I'll go and look for some treasure today. Now, where's my metal detector? I'm sure it's somewhere. No, he, he wasn't thinking about treasure. He didn't know anything about it. He just, it was there. He stumbled upon it. And when he found it, he went home and he raised everything he could, the money he could. He, he mortgaged the dog or whatever. I don't know what all he did to gather up the cash so that he could say, I must get this field. I must have it. I must buy it. In the second story, by contrast, it's a pearl merchant who's in the story here. Here's one who's been de dealing in pearls all his, his life. He's maybe been hoping that one day he, the big breakthrough would, would come and he would find this, this great pearl of, of huge value. And here he does, verse 46. That was something, as I say, he'd given his life to. He'd been training in this. He had maybe studied pearl merchantry at Jerusalem University. He might have been, for all we know, a member of the Royal College of Galilean Pearl Merchants. He was involved in this. And then one day, there's a pearl of great value. And just as the, the guy with the, the treasure in the field had gone and 
raised everything he could to, to buy the field. He goes and gets everything, sold everything he had, verse 46, to buy the pearl. That is, both of them, notice, do something now. It's not that they find, the guy finds a treasure and says, oh, that'll come in handy one day. I might be able to use that sometime in the future. No, it might not be there in the future. He, he makes sure he can get it now. And the pearl merchant doesn't say, oh, there's that great pearl of great value. That's very nice. You know, that might come in handy. No, some other pearl merchant might get it. So he, he makes sure he gets it now. You see, both of them say, now. And even as they're scraping everything together, even as they're um, <clears throat> selling this, mortgaging that, having a jumbo sale or a garage sale with all, the, all their stuff, even as they're getting everything together so that they can buy the field or buy the peril, they're actually feeling blessed because this is a great opportunity. This is something that's good to do. This is something that's, that's, that's a wow. Now, Jesus is saying, in both of these parables, notice began in the same way, the kingdom of heaven is like. This is what the good news is. This is what the good news of the kingdom of heaven, as Matthew calls it, or the kingdom of God, as, the, as it's referred to in Mark and Luke. This is, this is the good news. This is something of great worth. And it requires a response now. The kingdom is not just some kind of nice idea, something that will... Yeah, coming useful now and again, maybe some, like something that you would look at in a museum, spend an hour or two admiring and then get on with your life. It's not like some fantastic painting in an art gallery somewhere where if you're in the neighborhood, you'll maybe go in and, and have another look at it. It's treasure. It's pearl of great price. It's something to have and to have now. And all the more so, all the more urgent is this because the world is not simply going round and round and round in circles. The world is heading towards a time when God will judge. And he's going to say, what did you do with this good news of the kingdom? Did you repent and believe? Did you grasp hold of it when you had the chance? Now, the two stories, um, when we put them side by side, the man finding the treasure that he wasn't looking for and the pearl merchant discovering the great pearl, when we put them together, they, they tell us that, in fact, there are different ways of entering into the kingdom of God. One guy just found it quite out of the blue. It, it more or less found him. The other had been looking, searching, researching, seeking, trading, trying things, and then got him. But though they had come to find the kingdom in quite different ways, it was the same response. Sell everything. Go all out for this. Go all in here. And in a bizarre kind of way, I think in, over time, the church has turned that upside down, actually. The church has got that completely the wrong way around. Maybe not everyone that we know in church circles, but certainly for a large majority, it was the one way in. We started going to Sunday school, onto Bible class or whatever, youth groups took our membership vows. It was maybe slightly different if we'd done it through one of the youth organizations. But, but by and large, the story of our kirk for the last number of years has been that. Folks kind of grew up and, and grew into it. And then, 
that one way in. After we were in, we then found all our different levels of response. Even the church saying, as it, as it used to do, you know, come to communion once a year and you can remain a member. That, choose that response, that's fine. But in fact, that, that's rubbish. That's the complete opposite of what Jesus said. What Jesus said is there's lots of different ways of finding the way into the kingdom. There's lots of different ways of finding him. Some people search and search and try and try. Other people it just comes quite out of the blue and, and everything in between. There are almost as many different ways of finding Jesus as there are people. And yet the response is not choose your level, communion once a year or communion four times a year. Or the, communion, the response is to, to say Jesus is king and give him our all. It's to say live in the kingdom now. And so although Jesus didn't use the word converting or conversion, apart from that time he was um, having a, a set to with the Pharisees, this is in fact what he was talking about, no longer living in the kingdom whereby we please ourselves, but living in the kingdom where he is king and he is first. And he says, live in that new kingdom now. Now, if I was to go and live in the kingdom of Thailand, I would have to change some things about my life. <clears throat> I would have to use their currency Bat, I think it is. You know, I couldn't say, take out a fiver or, or a 20 pound note and say to the, the shopkeeper in Bangkok, oh, you have to, this is money, pal, you know. Don't be racist here, this is, no, I have to use their currency. I mean, we have to learn language, certainly learn some customs if I'm not going to offend people. And I certainly we're going to have to learn to drive on the right-hand side of the road and not, not the left. And it's no good saying, well, you know, I might be in the kingdom of Thailand, but hey, I still want to hang on to my, my Britishness or my Scottishness, so I'll just drive on the other side of the road. No, if, if I go and live in another kingdom, then the, the ways of that other kingdom have to impact and will impact on me and how I do things. And in the same way that if we go and live in the kingdom of God, so we have to put off all that's not of Christ, all that's not Jesus-like, and put on all that is Jesus-like. That is, it's a, a transformation. It's a conversion. It's a, no longer one thing, but now something else. Jesus is Lord then over all other claims and priorities in life. And so just as the conversion from sterling to the euro is no longer one thing, but now something else, just as the conversion from fractions to decimals is no longer one thing, but now something else, so the receiving of the good news of the kingdom, the repent and the believe, so the conversion is no longer one thing, Gordon Palmer pleasing Gordon Palmer and, and having all his responsibilities just as it seemed best to him, it is now saying Jesus is Lord And these guys in the two parables gave their all for that. They knew the worth of that. There's a lot of things in life that are overpriced. The kingdom of God is not one of them. And so here's the call to be seeking and serving in the kingdom of God. And that was the message of Jesus. And it was a message that called for an all-out response as Jesus describes in these two very short parables. And do you or I have any indication that Jesus changed that? Did he, have we any indication that he's kind of toned that down? 
compromised it? Has he said to anyone, well, live in my kingdom six months of the year and then go back to whatever else for the other six months? Has he said, live in my kingdom on Sundays, but the other six days do what you like? Has he said, live in my kingdom when it's straightforward and easy enough and you're in the right company, but as soon as people are laughing at you or criticizing you for, for believing, then, then you can just put it on. No, he hasn't done anything like that, has he? He hasn't said anything like that. The kingdom of God is good news. Even as they were putting everything together, even as they were selling all that they had, the guy wanting the field with the treasure, the guy wanting the, the pearl of great price, were thinking, yeah, but this is, this is worth it. God believes it's worth it. He hasn't given up on it, and he's working towards that glorious day that we um, found described in these few verses in Revelation with which we began our service these promises about his kingdom matter to God. Do they matter to you and matter to me? Let's pray. Forgive us, gracious God, all the times we have tried to barter, all the times we have thought about negotiating and thought, well, I've done this, now I don't have to do that. I've served you in this way, and so I don't have to serve you in that way. Um, I've done my bit for this week, this month, this year, or whatever. We thank you that Jesus didn't do that on the way to the cross. Otherwise, he would never have got there. So we thank you for that all-out commitment that you have made and given to us and for us. And ask, gracious God, that we might see and, and hear and receive that good news of salvation, that good news of, king, of your kingdom as indeed good for us. And might we, like the guys in the two parables that we read, realize that nothing matters more than taking our place in your kingdom and calling Jesus our King. Amen.